Hey, this is Dave Pryor for Projects at Work. It's a very exciting day for me today because I get to interview somebody who I've known for a while and who's been sort of a mentor to me um, for a long time. And it's Philip Diab has taken time out of his evening, my morning, and we're going to talk about PMOs. Um, if you're not familiar with Philip, shame on you. If you're involved in project management, you should definitely know who he is. Um, Philip, when I, when I was volunteering for PMI, he was at the top of the tree. He was the chair for for a while and um, provided me with some really great counsel and advice during a very difficult time for me in project management. So, Philip, first, thank you for all that, but thank you for taking time out for this as well. Hi, Dave. Thanks. It's great to be with you. And hello to everyone, all the listeners. Um, uh, as you mentioned, we've known each other for quite a few years. We've met on the, um, I guess, volunteer trail at the time. We were both speakers at an event. And it was at a time in my PMI career when I was traveling about uh, over 100 days a year for PMI. It was quite exciting, but hectic at the same time. Uh, and, and a lot of great opportunities to meet uh, uh, great project managers and practitioners from around the world. Uh, throughout you know, six years on the PMI board, I traveled for, to over 40 countries. So it was a lot of fun and uh, uh, a lot of great experiences and memories. So uh, before we get into the topic, I, I would love to ask you to comment on this really briefly. Um, so you just said you were on the board for six years, and I'm assuming you volunteered for a while before and after that. Um, what I usually tell people is that my, my experience volunteering for PMI is is a priceless thing that I nothing in my career has touched that. Like my MBA, I learned way more from volunteering for PMI than I got from my MBA. Um but I, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are. Like, how has it helped you develop either in terms of project management or just your ability to do business and network in general? It's it's a great um, topic. And, and I have a lot of passion around, around this topic in particular. Um, for me, I don't really distinguish my professional career from my volunteer and leadership activities in, in PMI. I see them as very much intertwined. Um, you know, some people call themselves an accidental project manager. Um, I'm very much an accidental volunteer in PMI. Uh, back in uh, 1996, I happened to be kind of walking the halls of the PMI symposium and happened upon one of the passionate volunteers in PMI who just kind of sought me out and started chatting about PMI and asked me to volunteer. And pretty soon I just kind of found out that I, you know, it was a topic of interest, and I started my volunteer life with PMI. Uh, I got involved at the local level and at the international level with the specific interest groups. And a few years later, I found myself on the PMI board, um, very active in, in PMI. Uh, what I would say, th there are several dimensions of my volunteer activities that I can say have added a tremendous depth to uh, my both professional career and, and personal life. Uh, first, it, you know, when, when you look at the amount of knowledge that you gain, whether it's through uh, experiences or um, skills that you, that you develop in your PMI volunteer activities, it's invaluable. You know, I can think to my PMI board days, we were in the process of developing a brand new strategy for the organization. And here I was, um, a fairly young volunteer at the time, jumping in and learning about different concepts of strategy and uh, working on uh, with a group of highly skilled and experienced volunteers to develop a new strategy for an organization that took it to where it is today. So it was quite exciting. 
Um, and, and these are skills, whether it's strategy or project management, that I ended up uh, applying directly in my project management career. And on, on the personal side, developing the network and the relationships and the friendships has been tremendous, both in terms of finding new business opportunities, but also staying in touch with, with friends around the world. So overall, it's invaluable. And, uh, you know, PMI membership is is something that what, what you get out of it is what you put into it. And the more you put into it, the more you can benefit both professionally and personally. Yeah, I'm glad that you said that last part, because that that is one thing. I mean, it is it's a time consuming thing and it takes a lot of emotion and a lot of energy. But I definitely found that I was paid back very well for every hour that I put in paid back in the experience and the relationships. Um, I mean, it was just an awesome thing. So if, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're trying to get more engaged in, in either agile or project manager, or anything about your profession, I would strongly encourage you to find groups that you can volunteer with to meet the people that are actually trying to change the profession and who are committing their own personal time because they have that level of passion. I think that's a big deal. I agree. I think that one of the things that I noticed about uh, active volunteers is that these are people who are extremely busy. You know, they have a very busy schedule in their work. They may be traveling. But what, what was amazing to me is that they're involved at multiple levels, not just with PMI. They may be involved with their own religious organization or their own local community. So it's very active and busy people, which, you know, is almost counterintuitive. You would think that if you are busy at work, you may not find time to volunteer, or if you take on one volunteer activity, you may not be able to do much at, um, on, a, on a personal, uh, on your personal life and, and with family. But what you find is uh, people are actually the opposite. They just tend to be involved on multiple levels. <laughs> yeah. Until you reach that point where you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to cut back. <laughs> I'm failing everyone. And then you peel it back <laughs> a little. Yeah, I think that's true. But I think that goes along with project managers too. A, a lot of us Look at the profession as, as you know, for really into servant leadership, you view your life as being in service to other people. And, and you do that, whether it's work or, you know, home or, you know, where you worship or whatever. Um, I think it's a big part of it. But let's talk about PMOs. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm always happy to chat about this subject. It's it's an exciting area in, in project management, you know. But when I got my first job in, in project management almost 20 years ago, um, I found myself as a project manager inside the corporate PMO. And we were struggling with concepts of how do we uh, support the organization in implementing strategy and how do we measure progress on projects and how do we engage people? And, you know, it was great lessons learned, uh, you know, trial by fi fire. And uh, ever since then, I've been involved in, in PMOs in one way or the other in terms of either starting them or leading them or assessing them, uh, being part of them or observing them. And it's uh, th there's never a, uh, a dull moment in PMOs. And uh, I've never been involved in a discussion with, with project managers and practitioners where there hasn't been a strong opinion as to whether PMOs are good or bad. There's always a, <laughs> a strong opinion on, on the topic. So this is really interesting. And I think just for the folks that are listening, when Philip said PMOs are very exciting, I think they are, but it does kind of require that you have a certain level of project management geek going on in your head. I, I, I get very excited about the topic. And like you said, the people that are passionate about it, they are very passionate about it. Um, and and we come at it from different angles because you're still you're you're working with a lot of organizations that are trying to get 
to get started with this and to figure out how to go about it. And that's what, what the new tool that you've came up with or the new, the new courseware is sort of around that as well, correct? Yeah, you know, what I would say, and, and this is a big disclaimer, um, I, I'm not a fanatic when it comes to PMOs. I, I personally believe that uh, PMOs are means to an end. And so not every organization necessarily needs a, a PMO. But if you find yourself in a position where um, a PMO can benefit your overall strategy or your project management approach, then um, that's where, you know, the, the frameworks that uh, I've encountered and I've developed c- come in handy. So it's all about the, the business needs and, and the requirements of the organization, as well as the maturity of, of the organization and its approach to um, uh, getting stuff done, if you will. Yeah. So I, I would like to ask you to to comment on this. When I first, Two different ways of looking at it. When I first started working in PMOs, it was right after I passed the PMP exam. And I and my boss got fired and they needed somebody to do it. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm an expert in project management because I just got my PMP. So, of course, I should run the PMO. And I basically told IT what we were going to do. And it didn't work. Not, they didn't want to do anything I told them we were going to do. One of the things that I learned much later on from from working with Mark Perry um, and doing some some work for PMI was that from his perspective, the PMO is a business unit and the, the the business unit has customers. And that kind of led me to a place where I look at a PMO now as a service function. The PMO is there to serve the, the uh, management, but also to serve the project managers. And to really be of value, they need to see themselves as a service organization instead of what unfortunately it seems like a lot of PMOs climb into that governance role and and take take over the bridge like a bunch of trolls sometimes i think it's it's interesting as you know specifically for pmos and in project management in general um you've got to put some skin in the game yeah so if you find yourself attempting to separate uh, from the project or the outcome of the project you're not going to establish the right type of credibility and and certainly within pmos if you try and come across like the scenario that you you described as somebody who is kind of auditing project performance as yeah. opposed to presenting yourself as a capability or support to help projects succeed in the organization, then the reception that you receive, whether it's from IT or marketing or finance or other um, departments in, in the organization is, is going to be mixed. Um, uh, you know, in my lessons learned, uh, as I was trying to kind of think about well, you know, based on some of the failures and the successes that I've experienced in my career, what are some of the kind of the uh, strategic principles that I would adopt uh, if I had to kind of build the philosophy around around PMOs? And that's just kind of uh, a simple acronym that I came up with, and that's SERVE, S-E-R-V-E. Um, and it's basically five principles that start with looking at uh, best practices and, and lessons learned. The first one is split focused. I think that for PMOs to be relevant in the organization, you have to have capabilities where your team can look at multiple priorities so that they are able to multitask. In, in essence, it's about building capability for the organization and at the same time executing work. So if you're too busy developing templates and methodologies and you're not focused on helping projects succeed, then you're probably going to fail. The second element, which relates to what you what you had talked about earlier, is being embedded. 
And that means that being relevant for the work of the organization, um, identifying the highest priorities when it comes to the projects, and really working with the different teams to solve problems or break down barriers to get to get things done. So if all you're doing is just simply reporting progress, you're not really embedded. You're just being a spy on on um, on the team, and and you end up uh, developing resentment in the organization. So whether you are a PMO supporting one project or a hundred projects, you've got to figure out a way to be relevant from a business perspective for the organization. Okay. The third one is around being results driven. So you've got to be able to kind of measure, um, you know, progress and and throughout the life cycle, you've got to be results oriented. You know, demonstrate that you know the type of deliverables that you provide to the organization really um, make a difference overall. Uh, the fourth area is around being value centric. So uh, ultimately, um, the uh, outcome of the project is not we've succeeded in managing the the schedule and the cost. And while that's nice, ultimately it's about delivering the business benefit of the project or of the projects, uh, the portfolio of the of the organization. So the PMO has to be closely aligned to the strategy of the organization. And, and last but not least is the concept of evolving or being a, a learning PMO, one that can evolve in its uh, role and uh, and capacity and capability to be able to grow with the organization. So those are kind of the five themes that basically make up my own personal philosophy um, based on, uh, you know, almost 20 years in the field uh, working on PMOs and, and supporting organizations in this area. Okay, so that so thank you for that. And when you're working with organizations, what what kind of stage are they at in terms of their size and and in terms of where they are in growing a PMO? I mean, are you coming in when they're they're they've just reached that size where like we have to do something, we've got to set up some kind of PMO, or is it we've got fifty of them spread throughout this big global company, we we got to make them work together? Like when do you when do you engage, or when do you prefer to engage? It's a it's a good question. It's a hodgepodge of of answers. Uh, I think that more recently, I've been working with organizations that tend to be early on in their adoption life cycle, um, and that's probably the nature of the type of consulting work that I've done in the last few years. Typically, it's in in the area of organizational building and capability building. So, you know, one one particular customer I worked with was a brand new organization that was the result of the merger of uh, 11 different oil and gas entities that that came together. And they needed a PMO that I led with a group of uh, seven individuals, practitioners, to to basically build the the overall organization. So our effort was primarily focused on uh, organization design and organization setup. Um, I've been involved in, in other types of PMOs where uh, you know, there was a failing project that, that was a large, you know, type of project. And uh, the the organization decided to establish the PMO to kind of help rescue uh, th- that type of project. But uh, I, you know, I think in the last few years, I've really enjoyed being part of this early stage where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working very closely with teams and, or, and organizations as well as executives to define the requirements so that you can get the design right. That, that that's a lot of fun because you get to kind of see the the entire life cycle 
um, both of the PMO and, and in some cases of the organization as it matures. So you're coming in and helping them f- figure out why they need a PMO, how it should be set up. You get it up and running and then you kind of move on to something else after they take over, right? Yeah, but pretty much. And in some instances, you you know, you transition after the design. In, in other instances, uh, you transition after you, you finish building the PMO. One of the most fun projects I was involved in in uh, in my consulting days was actually coming in and working with the organization to define a corporate strategy. It was a growth strategy that we built with um, you know cross national growth uh, into the uh, various countries in the region. And then from there we we built a balanced scorecard framework to measure the performance of the strategy. And then I was engaged in building a transformation PMO to to execute that strategy. It was very fulfilling because it was one of those very unique times when I was able to see the entire uh, life cycle of strategy development and and implementation. And you know, if you're lucky enough to be involved in these type of programs, they can be a lot of uh, fun because they're very rewarding. You get to see the entire life cycle. To me, it's very refreshing to me to hear you talk about your work the way that you talk about it, because you have so much optimism and enthusiasm for it. And it's 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 nice to hear somebody who is <laughs> who likes what they do. I think a lot of project managers get wrapped around the axle of complaining about their job, but it is a really fun job if you find well, it, you know, it's the, one of, the things one you do that you love. Things- yeah, one of these things I remember one of my friends in, in PMI used to say there's no there's no room for cynicism in project management. And um I I can see how some of us can get jaded. Even I get discouraged uh, in projects when you know the deck is stacked against us or there's a lot of challenges. Um uh, in my 20 years of involvement in, in PMI and literally traveling to uh, hundreds of places, I've never met a single project manager who would stand up and say, I have enough authority in the organization to make things happen. It's, it's actually the opposite. <laughs> it's, always it's always the opposite. <laughs> you know, management doesn't understand. We don't know, you know, I can't get them to uh, to support me the right way. I don't have enough power in the organization. So it's the same kind of stories. Um, but what I found is those project managers who are successful uh, do so because they establish the right type of leadership to rally the troops and keep management at bay to get things done. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of a different paradigm from the individual who's just constantly complaining about, I don't have enough power in in my organization. Well, I think people go through that stage and I think you get to a point where you're just like, screw it. I'm just going to find a way to hack the people around me anyway. And the system that I'm dealing with, and then that becomes the challenge and the puzzle. That to me is when, I mean, that's, that's sort of like a leap, I think, in a project manager's evolution when it stops being about, the project and it becomes about your ability to do your job well and to serve the organization in you know whatever capacity you can i think the job you, you know shifts. Now, now that i've yeah now that i have a few a few more gray hairs i can <laughs> see the benefit of experience in this process you know but i joined the ranks of project management right out of business school i was you know no more than 23 years old um my first job uh, you know i had applied for i got an interview and, you know, during the interview, my uh, my soon-to-be boss asked me a question. She was like, why should I hire you with, you know, literally one year of experience when I can go out there and hire somebody with 20 years experience? And, and at the time, I kind of joked. I said, well, you know, you can either hire me with a solid understanding and knowledge and training and project management with one year of experience, 
or you can go out and hire somebody who has done project management wrong for 20 years and has just basically <laughs> repeated the experience for, for 20 years. That's awesome. And, you know, and, and uh, that, that got a laugh and, and got me hired. But, but I think having kind of matured in the role and, you know, jumping into a, an organization at the age of 23, 24, and trying to manage teams with individuals who are much more seasoned and experienced can be an intimidating, um, uh, you know, uh, feat to, 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 to deal with. Um, shortly after we, we moved uh, from the U.S. To, to the Middle East, um, you know, a few years later, I'd, I'd been in project management for a, for a few years. Um, I was leading a major corporate initiative and I was sitting around the, you know, sitting in the meeting room around the table, just kind of like looking. And I realized all of a sudden, even though it's only, uh, it had only been a few years, all of a sudden my, I was the oldest person at the table. <laughs> it was looking at me for, for answers. And, and I think that it, it, I, I felt a lot more comfortable in my own skin. I'd been through experiences. I'd been through failures and I was able to, to guide my team. And I, and I felt that I could give my myself empowerment because how of how comfortable I was with uh, the concepts of project management. I'd been there. I've I've i done it. I've seen the type of mistakes and the type of successes. So you know, experience can be very valuable uh, in terms of uh, you know positioning you uh, for for your leadership. And I think uh, in my own career, I can tell you that I certainly complained about the lack of authority in my. <laughs> Uh, my early days of project management, and I just kind of learned how to live with it uh, later on, and just make things work. Even as an outsider or a consultant, I, you know, I just learned that you can take charge, and people will let you if if you do that. Nobody's gonna stop you if if what you're doing is the right thing for the organization. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I always tell my students in my classes that like I'm I'm exactly like you. I don't know what I'm doing either. I'm still learning, but but I've been I've been not knowing what I'm doing for a lot longer. So I've seen more stuff than than maybe than you have, and that's a thing that helps. Like maybe I exactly. can use that that experience of 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 trying and failing over and over and over again, and learning things that work and things that don't. I I want to talk about the tool because I mean, you you're very subtle about it, but you've built this new product, or the I'm calling it a tool. It's a course, but it has an actual output for organizations if they follow through with it. Can you talk a little bit about the Rapid Start product and um you know what it what it means? Absolutely. Sure. So, so you know, as I mentioned, I'd been in, involved in PMOs for a long time, and uh, one of the most important lessons learned that I that I'd come across is the the importance of making a difference from day one. So, imagine yourself being tasked with the opportunity or the challenge of building a PMO, regardless of the reason, whether you are. Uh, you know, managing a major program for the organization, or you're trying to kind of get a handle on the performance of projects, uh, you're tasked with building this PMO. And, uh, you know, the executives who are giving you this task oftentimes are impatient. They want you to deliver from day one. So as soon as you're assigned this task, um, their expectation is uh, give us a report on uh, resource utilization, give us a report on project performance, Go and meet with this project team and correct actions that that are going bad. And it's very frustrating when you're in the early stages of the project to set up the PMO and you don't have the tools and the capability and the capacity to do so. And that was kind of the the idea that started this concept of rapid start PMO. 
the the whole idea is you need to do both at the same time. It's almost like that old consulting adage, which is you've got to drive the car and change the flat tire both at the same time. Yeah. And and that's the that's the essence of rapid start PMO. It's a 12-week journey to setting up a PMO, making it operational literally almost from day one, from hour one, defining the the critical requirements that are needed, and then building an evolutionary path to to capacity building and capability building in the organization. Um, and it's it's intended to be basically a no nonsense, no nonsense how to approach, as opposed to just simply talking about the what. We actually go into the details of how you can do each component of this, and we provide specific examples of the deliverables that are needed on a week by week basis um, to build this kind of modularized approach to project management and and PMOs. So it's set up like a course, but it's kind of a tutorial, like you said, a step-by-step um, deliverable-focused approach so that if I am trying to get a PMO, PMO up and running, and maybe it's something that you know I'm new to or I just want to have a fresh way of looking at it, this would take me through the stages of making sure I've got all the pieces in place that I need. Exactly. And it's pretty, uh, you know, logical in that sense, in that, you know, like, for example, in week zero, you focus on getting ready understanding the business case in week one you put together the charter in week two you make sure that the design elements for the pmo are clear and so on and so forth uh, and and the idea is in in my humble opinion this is all about leadership right and and one of the things that i've observed the, the main difference in in success is to ensure that the team that's involved has the right time type of mindset when it comes to to leadership. I, I actually talked about this in a book that I wrote a few years ago called Sidestep Complexity, where I, I I talked about kind of five leadership traits that are critical for successful project leaders, and certainly this applies to successful PMO leaders. Um, they're they're basically the first one is being centered on the people, making sure that you. Um, focus on the needs of the stakeholders and ensuring that you set the right expectations with them. The second one is around having the passion for the mission. So if you if you don't have excitement around the products and services that your company is offering and the projects that you're working on, you're going to have a very miserable time in your PMO uh, because you're going to find that uh, you know it's your typical nine to five job and then it's over. Uh, it's much more powerful if you're actually passionate about the the organization and the work that it does in the world. Um, the third one is around being obsessed with excellence, really striving for anything above mediocrity. It's just making sure that you um, provide a, a framework that uh, you know drives for results. Uh, the the fourth one is around visioning and imagining the future, and then the fifth one is around being focused to deliver and and delivering. And I, I find that. Within these five leadership traits, um, project leaders are much more positioned for success because they make themselves a lot more relevant to the organization and to the stakeholders that they that they deal with. So I, w- I want to kind of dig in on one of those things that you mentioned, because it's something that came up in another interview I did not long ago. And, and this is a bit of a digression, but we'll come back to the PMO thing in a moment. You mm-hmm. mentioned that you have to have a lot of passion for the project that you're working on. 
Um, I, I interviewed a, a digital PM, uh, Patrice Colancheco Embry, recently, and that was one of her key things: is that you really have to be the cheerleader and the supporter, and you have to find it within you to help kind of marshal the team around, you know, wanting to do this thing. And and the thing that I, the question that I have, and this is me asking as somebody who struggles with this: if I'm on a project, like let's say I'm working as a consultant, I get shipped off to some client, the project's just a bag of garbage. I mean, there's no way that things gonna happen. It's gonna burn down. I've had tons of projects like that, like because I'm good at singing and dancing for the client while the building burns. But how how do you when you find yourself in situations where you've got a bad apple, how do you work up that that level of enthusiasm that you need to carry through? Well, you know, as a joke, I I think as a consultant, I'd rather be fired earlier than later (laughs) if the if the project is going to. To, to burn or, or end in a miserable death, I'd rather be the bearer of bad news sooner than, than later. It just okay. kind of set the stage because um, it, 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 while it's not always easy to speak truth to power, um, and, and you certainly, I find, get more comfortable with experience and, uh, uh, and age. <laughs> and emotional uh, scarring. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but, but if you're able to deliver that nasty message early on, yeah. You might actually have a chance at corrective action uh, early on. The, the challenge that I've seen is we as project management people um, are optimistic. And as a result, sometimes we get into this um, kind of um, quicksand where we think we can actually pull a rabbit out of the hat. But in essence, we're just constantly sinking further and further and further <laughs> because of our optimism. And, and in reality, that can be very detrimental both to your project and to your, your career if you're not able to kind of um, just kind of be honest with, uh, with, the, with the key stakeholders, especially executive sponsors. Um, and, you know, certainly being a cheerleader is, is an important element and doesn't mean like you're, you know, jumping and yelling and screaming every day, but you've got to be um, as excited as everybody else about the project. Otherwise, people can sense the negative vibes that uh, that come from the project manager. Yeah, I, it's funny you said optimist. I, I, I kind of think of it like, I wouldn't say I'm an optimist, although the older I get, the more I realize that I am. I am somebody who looks at the world not as if the glass is half empty, but if there's a fragile container that will soon be knocked to the floor, it will shatter, someone will step in it, they will cut themselves. I've got to have Band-Aids. <laughs> But thinking, looking at things that way, I think is the thing that lets me be optimistic because I'm still hoping for good things to happen. I'm just very aware that they're probably not going to, um, which yeah. creates this dissonance that I think is one of the things that's messed up about being a project manager. You're looking at something, yeah, it's not going to work, but it's going to be awesome when it does. You know? <laughs> um, so I, I guess I tend to look at it like if I have a thing that's going to go, it seems like it's going to go wrong. Um I try to change my my measure of success. Like maybe the project, maybe it doesn't seem like the project's going to launch. Then how can I use that project to improve my skills, to get better at making, helping people make decisions or serving the team? And how can I use it as a learning experience to to deliver some kind of value, at least for me and the people around me? If we can't yeah, get no, the client I, I to where they need the, to be. I think that the scope of the project also um, and the type of organization is going to have a degree of of influence. I think that within PMOs, there's room for a a bit of kind of piloting or experimentation in terms of what works, what doesn't work, especially if you are setting up an enterprise PMO to measure performance 
on on projects and and support and 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 track and so forth. However, if you're you know uh, building a building, for example, uh, the the consequence of failure can actually have a much more detrimental um, you know impact on on lives, and as a result, the the uh, the type of risk planning and safety measures that you need to kind of adopt are totally different. Uh, and and that's not to say that there's not room for for experimentation, but um, you know you have to kind of understand that within the context of PMOs, project management is a it's it's man-made, and as a result, you know we're not dealing with something that's divinely revealed. It's it's about something that is tailored and customized to fit the context of the organization that you're working with. And what works for organization X may not work for organization Y. Yeah, I, I would say it's, it's, man, it's a man-made attempt to control the uncontrollable. Absolutely. Yeah. So this is, this is awesome. So what would you, when you've got people, when you work with organizations that are trying to set up PMOs, what are like, you know, one or two or three of the most common missteps that you see people make? Like, the, like some things that if you could just walk in and say, okay, that, that's not going to happen. Like what would, what would those, or what warnings would you give people? So, so the first one, there's a couple of them that, that kind of jump at me. The, the first one is why? Why do you want to set up this PMO? What, what purpose are you trying to accomplish or what, what goal are you trying to achieve? Um, that will influence the type of PMO, the type of capability that you need in the organization. And what's amazing to me is so many organizations don't um, have a ready-made answer for that question. Some of them are not even clear on it. And what, what's, what's troubling is not so much that uh, you know the, the question may not be answered, but that you may get five or six or ten different answers from people depending on who you ask. So a unity of vision is very critical. You know, if, if everybody's able to jump up and say, we're setting up the PMO because we have a, a new ERP implementation and it needs to drive that, um, then you, you're ahead of the game uh, compared to most organizations because they don't have necessarily a, a unity of purpose. So that's that's the first one. Um, the, the second one is I think that organizations tend to um, jump too quickly into talking about structures and responsibilities and roles long before they spend time on assessing and understanding and defining requirements. Um, you know, just think about a PMO where you immediately jump into identifying, okay, I need seven team members and I need to create a methodology. Yeah. And, and then you know, right like tactical. two months down the line, you discover that you've got a methodology. You don't need to develop a, a new one or... You need to tailor the existing one. So yeah. that, that can be a very frustrating misstep uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, PMOs. Okay. Um, another one that I can think of is uh, recognizing that PMOs are not static. They can evolve. So, you know, you can start a PMO that's supporting a single project, and then over time you can evolve it. Uh, and I can tell you in my own project management career, I was almost – very fanatical about my views of PMO because I I thought that you know a PMO is there only to serve as a governance entity for all the projects in the organization, and as I delved deeper into PMOs, I started understanding that it's just a tool that can be leveraged across a variety of different strategic objectives. Yeah, and you know it can evolve and change just like any any human 
endeavor. It doesn't have to be the same throughout the ages. Cool. Thank you. So I have now that was about PMOs that are starting. I'm going to ask about something that's that I see more more often than not in, in the classes that I teach. And you kind of mentioned something around this, but I get a lot of people who they, they they're like, I work in the PMO. And I say, Well, that's great. Why why do you have a PMO? And it's mm-hmm. just crickets. Like they don't even know. Like, why is it there? Because it was here when I got here. Like <laughs> what when you when you run across a, the people that are in a PMO that doesn't even remember why it was created, because all those people are gone from the company and they don't have any kind of guiding mission and they don't understand who they're serving or what their customer is. All they think their job is to take reports from one group and turn them into another report for another group. Um how what, what advice do you give them to help them kind of refine their way i mean that's a great observation and it's a shame because i think that some of the reasons sometimes that pmos are established is specifically to be that knowledge repository and to facilitate succession planning in the in the projects and it's ironic that you end up having a transition of team and leadership where the new team uh, doesn't even understand uh, the role and, and the requirements and you know i think it's all about going back to the basics. If you really feel like uh, as an organization, the PMO has lost its way or there's no clarity, you can kind of follow the same type of process where you can uh, engage the organization to, to redefine the business need. And that's very important to be done with the, with the executives because it's not just the PMO people that change. It may be that you have a new CEO or a new CFO and as a result, your executive sponsor has a totally different set of expectations from the individual who authorized its launch. So I would start with those. Start with uh, validating or redefining the business objectives, going through and agreeing on what are the priorities and what are the requirements. And then from there, you can recalibrate the roles and responsibilities uh, and ultimately decide whether restructuring is, is needed or retooling is required. Okay, great. Now, now, just to take it back to the to the course, is the course something you would recommend in that context as well? Is it is it designed to help? Like, if I have a PMO, is it going to help me kind of refine the mission for that? I think that it it can ind- indeed help. It's it's been designed as a step by step approach to help you kind of walk through the various stages of setting it up and then running it. However, I think that there are some nuggets of wisdom because. Uh, for those individuals who've already started the PMO, because the, what we've done is we've we've captured lessons learned and and stories for different parts of uh, the the framework that kind of help provide some context on the lessons learned. So instead of just being purely abstract and talking about theory, we've tried to actually take some time and just kind of provide some examples of what works and what doesn't work. So from that perspective. Um, it can kind of inform your journey, especially since it's supposed to be a rapid start, 12-week process. So even if you've already launched your PMO, you may be halfway through your journey or you may find that the PMO needs to be recalibrated. So it's an approach that you can kind of take a look at and leverage in terms of realigning things. Yeah, or or, I mean, even use it almost as like a QA function on your PMO to to go through it and make sure that you haven't skipped over any important things and left some of that stuff out. Absolutely. Cool. So, and if people want to find out about the course, they can go to rapidstartpmo.com 
Um, if they want to get in touch with you, I'm going to include your, your LinkedIn and your email in here as well. But the easiest way is probably just to go to philipdiab.com, and that's one L and Philip. I want to make sure. Right. Yeah. Yes, because it always uh, Absolutely. That, that's great. And we, we love to hear from people. So by all means, feel free to reach out to us. We also start, if I can give a... a yeah, go. Talk, we started a, a new podcast called the Project Management Debate Podcast. And it's a podcast that's done by my wife, Mary Elizabeth, and myself, where we, you know, explore something that all project managers that I've that I've known like, which is arguing and debating. So we take <laughs> a topic in project management and we debate it to death. And we'd love to kind of engage the broader audience with this as well. You know, if you can listen to it and, and let us know what you think, and uh, both in terms of your opinion and and your comments, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Cool. And I'll make sure I include a link to that as well. Philip, thank you very much for taking the time out for this conversation. It was great talking to you. And I'm excited about the new product. I hope it goes well. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it.